Hey, listener. Uh, thanks for being here. This week we interviewed Hex Shadow, uh, a local drag icon here um, in our community. And this is a really great episode um, with what's going on in the country, with what's going on in Montana. It felt really important to launch this episode. A um, couple things we talk about um, gun control and we talk about guns in general. Um, so just kind of a heads up on that. And then uh, we talk about um, utilizing your resources and if you're struggling or if you know somebody's struggling, um, finding resources for them. And if you don't know what those resources are, if you need any help, um, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram. Um, and we're happy to direct you in any way we know how um, to try to get you connected with some resources. So this is a great episode. Um, it's a little heavy. We missed our mom moment because it was kind of heavy. Um, which is the reality of the world we're living in right now. So it's a great episode. Um, as always, like share, subscribe this with all your friends. Have a good week. All right, here we are. Another episode. We did it. We're doing it. We're doing it. Yeah. Um, we got stickers. We got stickers. We got stickers. Yesterday. All of our guests get stickers now. Yeah. So you, you, for your hours of time, can have a two-by-two two sticker. Are they Technicolor? No. I don't know if I want a sticker then. Okay. Like I'm in it for the Interview's over. Yeah. That is totally <laughs> Time <fair>. to go. <laughs> it, this has been fun. Um, <laughs> that's our time. Yeah, and that's our time. Thank you so much for your effort. Um, well, welcome to STEM From Pod. Um, my name's Chelsea. My pronouns are she, her. My name is Kaylee. My pronouns are also she, her. Our special guest today, Hex Shadow. What are your pronouns? I actually don't have a preference. Beautiful. So whatever we use is fine. Okay. Thank you. The Wicked Bitch of the West. Wicked actually, Bitch West or Wicked... is my sister. Yeah, I'm oh, north. Yes. You're north? I'm north. Oh, of the north. Why okay. did I... I'm sorry. No, well, that's fine. Yeah, do you want to say more about... A little bit more about who who you are as Hex and introduce that part too? Sure. So I am a drag queen in Montana. Um, I currently live in Bozeman, but I perform all over the state. And the drag persona that I perform as is Hex Shadow. Hex is getting close to 15 years um, on stage here shortly. Ooh, that yeah. is amazing. Yeah, old bitch. It's been a minute. Um, Just kidding. But yeah, so she's she's my stage persona. Um, and I've done everything from story hours to, you know, filthy shows and bars in the evenings. Uh, when we first started, we were performing in a casino attached to a gas station on Airway <laughs> Boulevard in Missoula, Montana. So. Oh, how the times have changed. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been quite a journey, but that's that's who she is. Okay, wonderful. Thank you for being here. I'm going to clap. I wish I could hear that. I really wish I could hear those buttons. Uh, last time you did it, and you're like, I'm going to clap. I'm going to, I'm going to clap for you. You like push it. And it was like, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like editing it. So and it was working like, on our soundboard. So we oh, pretty much nailed that. That's <laughs> magical. Uh, we are crushing this. Um, well, Hex, uh, thank you again for being here. Are you in therapy? Yes. Okay. Do you mind saying more on that? I think therapy is for everyone. Like legitimately one of the things that I tell pretty much everyone around me is, oh, are you in therapy? You should consider, you should consider seeing therapy. someone. Yeah. Um, I love my therapist because the way that we operate is there's a couple times a year where I know I'm going to be more stressed out. And so we up our appointments during those periods and then the rest of the year we dial it back to, you know, there's a couple months where we might talk once that month, but right. if some, you know, something happens, I have the ability to reach out to her and just be like, Hey, can I get on your books for mm-hmm. X, Y, or Z? Yeah. Um, and I've been in it for years. Like I said, I think it's cool. great and it's healthy and everybody should consider it. Yeah. I agree. I would agree. Totally. I often find that that's like a precursor to quality friendship. Like, have you been in therapy? All right. Call me in like three years. <laughs> Yeah, we're not there yet. Like, yeah, yeah, like you're you got some growing up to do. Yeah, you got some like shit to figure out. Yeah, I'm too expensive. And I don't want to be the one to do it. Yeah, I'm too expensive to. (laughs) 
Well, and that's the thing that I think is so unfortunate is with the country we live in and the system we live in, I wish there weren't an income barrier to it, right? Totally. Right. No, it is. Yeah. Access Mm -hmm. mental health resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because then we could be like, "Oh, are you in therapy? You're not okay." There's literally no reason. There's no excuse, be, but so. there is. Yeah. But there is an actual yeah, re- yeah there, like there, there is a, a reason yeah for a, lot a really of big boundary. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's something too. Like, um, it's it's like so easy for I made it such a priority that even like with my income inequality, I was like, yeah, I made it work. And then I like I like think back. I think back, and I'm like, oh, there were so many other pre-existing conditions that allowed for me to just be like, I'm going to make this a huge priority. Mm-hmm. And as everybody like should, yeah, like <laughs> my privilege right. was like, yeah, yeah, I can, you know, my parents like helped out and all these things. So mm-hmm. it was, it's, it's such a threshold, but it's, I wish everyone therapy. <laughs> uh, what's your attachment style? I don't actually know the answer to that question. <gasps> Ooh. And I also just smacked my lips into the microphone, which Chelsea is a huge fan Dear of. Dear diary. Do it more. <laughs> You're a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you. Um, yeah, smack away. Um, do you want to talk about attachment styles or do you just want to say, I don't know and move on? I'm fine talking about it too. Okay. Basically, my understanding of attachment, and I don't want to like woman explain this to you, but like my understanding of attachment is it's like a pre-existing um or it's how it's the way we were raised and our how our families operated through the world and how our needs were met and how we operated on our feelings it often translates into our attachment styles with primarily intimate relationships but it can be platonic so it's secure anxious avoidant or anxious avoidant (laughs) do you do you attach any of those I feel like I'm going to say combo and the combo. reason being there are certain relationships in my life like where absolutely I think it would be a secure attachment style. Um, there are other types of relationships where some of what you just said does resonate with me. Yeah. Uh, I will say the older I'm getting though, mm. the oh. more it's, it's like if I have someone that doesn't want to be around me, I'm just like, Okay. Yeah, my phone number hasn't changed since yeah. I was fourteen. Yeah. Call me if you need mm-hmm. to. Otherwise, good luck. Like, cool. I literally like. I don't need this. Yep. I'm good. Yeah, yeah. And that's not avoidance. That's like, just like a healthy boundary. And what's kind of cool about like attachment styles for me has been that I've learned that like the the more I've learned about my attachment style with other people, the more I've learned about my attachment style with myself. And not to minimize that, but as we're talking, it I, I had kind of a funny thought in my head. I kind of want to go home and like study up on these attachment styles yes. and then mm. analyze what my attachment style to myself is and what my attachment style to hex is. Oh yeah. Because I definitely feel like those wouldn't, because there are definitely days where I just want to like stick hex in a black garbage bag, beat her with a bat and light the remains on fire. So okay. like, do you want to unpack, we can unpack that? that? Yeah. You want to just move on from that? I mean, I, I said it mostly joking, but any, no, yeah. anybody out there that has a stage persona, even if it's not drag, I've talked to um, adult entertainers, I've talked to, you know, burlesque performers, uh, actors. At a certain point, like you have this persona that you've created. And I think it's normal and perhaps even healthy to at times look at that persona and go, oh, dear Lord, why? Yes. Why? Yeah. Like, I just... I want a divorce from you. I want you to go over there so that I can be me. And uh, yeah, so that's, you know, I say it in jest, but again, anybody out there that, that has a, a stage persona, I think that probably will resonate. Like with resonate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. That's a really, have, I'm always on a beat a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's such an interesting aspect of it though. Like yeah, I hadn't given that thought. <laughs> it's definitely interesting because it, you have aspects of each personality that don't necessarily port across. And yeah. so like if for Hex, for example, <laughs> is, you know, filthy and dirty and has a yeah. wretched sense of humor, which is something that we both share. Hex generally tends to be more, you know, asexual in their encounters, right? Like mm-hmm. it's not something that, you know, Hex would ever act on. And then okay. of course, when all of that stripped off and it's just me, I, you know, I'm not that old yet. Like, yes, I'm still a sexual individual. Yeah. So there's differences. Okay. Well, we'll have another episode where you, sorry. uh, No, I want to, I want to hear about you or your attachment (laughs) style. And I want to hear about your attachment style for like both um, you and then hex as well. Um, Two recommendations for books attached and then polysecure, which talks a lot about attachment styles. Like the first half of the book, it's a wonderful book, but it's really hard to read. 
because it does really dive into attachment styles, but it also gives you like much more of like an example based orientation around like how to modify your behaviors to get to a more secure where attached is like you're anxious and you'll be anxious for the rest of eternity. (laughs) (laughs) So great. Yeah. And then also um, we had an episode, uh, Dr. Uncle Iroh talked a lot about um, a psychiatrist that we had talked a lot about attachment styles as well. So when that gets launched, you should listen to it. Um, Hex, what are you most proud of? That is a very, very large question. Um, what am I most proud of? I am most proud of the wonderful community that I've gotten to help create and gotten to be a part of over the years. Yes. Are you, can you say more on what you're proud of within that? I think if I had to drill down on what I'm most proud of, it would be helping sometimes dragging people kicking and screaming into supportive interpersonal relationships with the people around them. Like that's definitely, I'm very purposeful in the language I use, you know, instead of just having a friend's group and being like, Oh yeah, you know, be nice to so-and-so I'll absolutely turn around and be like, be nice to your brother or be nice to your sister or be nice to your siblings. And I try and use language that causes people because you you say that and you have some people that are like oh okay and like it doesn't really phase them and you have other people that are like, wait a minute that's not my sibling and i love those conversations when they come up because i'm like they're not yeah hmm look at all the things you've gone through together like mm-hmm. what's your definition of family you know look at the situation that you're both in look at how you help each other you don't share any biology unless you're from eastern montana in which case you probably do share some biology, <laughs> whether you know it or not but like you know, you might not share biology, but are you really not family? Because society has really pushed us all into the same box and we can either choose to hold each other at arm's length or we can choose to accept each other for who we are, protect each other and create that community. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I'm going to clap for that too. And that was claps. Hopefully. Wish we could hear them. <laughs> um, do you, what's your current relationship with your, with your birth mother or your drag mother? I will let you choose. I will. Nissy you can't give me options because I'm a both, both type of person, but like my relationship with my biological mother is, I mean, my mom is mom. Um, she's amazing and creative and there are days where she drives me up a wall um, and sometimes she doesn't know she's driving me up a wall because it's just me looking in the mirror and going, oh my God, I'm turning into my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never had that thought. And sort of the same thing, you know, on the drag side. Uh, my drag mother, we jump on FaceTime and have cocktail nights and we catch up Cute. once a year. You know, we go on a trip with two of our other friends. But there are definitely times in drag where I'm like, ah, oh, damn it anyway, I'm turning into Kiara. So... <laughs> Um, I think I have, you know, honestly, pretty good relationships with, with both of my mother figures. Your mother figures. Mother. <laughs> mother. That's so good. I, I envy that. I envy a relationship that of a mother dynamic that fills me up someday. Maybe not. Probably not. Um, cool. <laughs> so I won't have time to unpack that one. Um, all right. I'm feeling good. How does everybody else feel? Feeling loose. Good. This couch is really comfortable. You look comfy. I am. I love things where my legs fit on it instead of dangling over the edge. I'm so happy that you look comfy. That's nice. Um, All right. Well, let's get into our word of the day. The reframe station is that we, I find a word that I connect with you that I've previously reframed in my life to mean something that works in my current life where it maybe previously didn't in a past life. So the word I've chosen today is family. I think I chose this word because so much of what I'm experiencing within this podcast is language around obligation around family. And I have an, I have an obligation to my mother to have some sort of relationship with her. And that's really hard. Um, But I have a family that I've reframed 
that is my community. And I see that in you and I see that in what you've created, but I want to give you both a little bit of space to talk about what your original definition of family was and how it's changed. Kaylee, do you want to go first or do you want me to dive into that? Cause <laughs> I can go first. I can go first. Um, God. Yeah. Family is one of those like 5,000 ton words for me. Um, like it is the heaviest word. Family was like an anchor and it was like this gold. Family was just like purpose. Family was purpose for me. My purpose, my eternal purpose in my life and in my like eternal life forever and ever was to find someone to make a family with mm. and then to keep that family like holding steadfast to, you know, the principles of my religion um, so that they can then find someone to make their family with. Yeah. And then like, and it was this chain it's very heavy when I think about that word, like yeah. as it, as, as it pertains to the way I used to feel about it. It's really interesting hear you, hearing you talk about like the weight that's associated with that word, because I think for me, I've gone the opposite direction where like my biological family growing up was phenomenal and interesting and I won't get into it, but I mean, there's story after story of how really, really cool these people were. And growing up, I had this uncle that, you know, I was uncle Don and I think I was in like junior high when I found out it was actually just my dad and my biological uncle's roommate from college. Like he yeah. was actually a different local family, but he came to Thanksgiving with us and he was Aww. there for all of the family holidays and festivals. And I like still to this day, call him uncle Don because Ew. still to this day, he comes yeah. to the family camp out Aww. every year. Yeah. But like beyond that, when I moved into the queer community, you know, as you said, over the last 15 years, I was very, very excited and very, very passionate about trying to create this sense of family. Um, and it wasn't like novel to me. It was something I discovered being a drag queen. There were drag families and there was history there that lent itself to creating space for people to have a family dynamic that they wouldn't otherwise have had. Yeah. And it aligned with the way my biological family had raised me and was very, very powerful. And I thought, man, I want to share this experience with people. And it's been phenomenal and it's still very, very important to me. It's also something, you know, lately that I've been looking at and I'm going, okay, what is my degree of obligation to this at this point? Like how much weight, like have I gotten to the point where I'm grandma and I can just go into the corner of the family gatherings and get drunk and poke at everybody? Or like, <laughs> do I nil, still need to be like actively doing maintenance on this family creation? And so that's something that I am still, you know, sort of trying to riddle out, but just the, the way that you phrased that, where you said it was this really heavy thing. Like I think as time has gone on, I've put more and more pressure on myself to make sure that that family continues to grow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In this space, do you want us to problem solve that with you or do you want to just to give feedback on that? I, either is fine. It's okay. really whatever you and your, uh, yeah. I mean, are. I was going to get to that question later, but in this space, I kind of wanted to like, I think the difference for me and the family that I've created versus the family that I was raised with, because there was not, there was a shortage of abundance and love and it was transactional and all these things the way I was raised. I feel very obligated to my chosen family, but I don't feel drained by my cho chosen family. And I'm hearing tones of drainage and I just want to check in and say like within your family, the beautiful thing about giving and receiving love is that it like doesn't have to be so grandiose. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know that it's, I think the notes of draining that you're hearing are. And we can, we can get into the draining part, you know, like we can get into what the, what is going on in the world right now. And that might be some of it. But. And that you actually just hit mm, the nail on the mm -hmm. head. Like it's 
as it relates to this chosen family that I've created lately, it's been exhausting trying, you know, working alongside of that family to try and protect itself. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think that's part of what you're hearing is it's like, we've created this big, beautiful thing. Yeah. And, you know, now we're all standing here going, how do we protect this from, you know, things that are so far outside of our control? Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't know that it's the family itself that's draining. That's um, good to know. It's just more, you know, I've created this thing and it exists and I'm uh, contemplating my navel and trying to decide, you know, what are my obligations to that? Yeah. Um, 10 or 11 o'clock rolls around and I'm just like, oh, I love this family. I'm going to go to bed. Turn I'm going to go to, yeah, go. get the fuck out. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's, it's magical because... <laughs> Well, it's magical in some ways and not in others. One of the little shits actually called me grandma at the bar the other weekend. How did that make you feel? Uh, we had to have a little conversation. And yeah. I was like, listen, child, I gave birth to your mother. I have not adopted you yet. We are not related. Yes. I, I love like, this. And if you want me to adopt you at some point, don't ever call me that in the bar again. <laughs> so, I mean, it was it was funny. Yes. Like, it was an exchange. But... Uh, to be honest, um, when I moved to Bozeman eight years ago, I planned on not doing drag anymore. Like I moved here to leave. Wow, that's so of me. wow! Oh my gosh! And jokes on you. I was here for like six or seven <laughs> months. Kidding. Met some of the, I mean, right. Yeah. Met some of these you know amazing amazing people that were here, and I was like, I can do this. Like I can teach them how to do this. I can help them create this powerful drag scene. And I decided to do it. But the goal, like the entire time, has literally been to give them the tools they need. Yeah. What does auto- long-term autonomy look like for you, for your children, so that you can be like the drunk grandma at the bar? Right, well, let's be honest. I have been the drunk grandma at the bar for <laughs> you many, have. many years I'm, now. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, I wasn't going to. You that was it, not me. But see, that was <laughs> after. That was your mouth, not mine. <laughs> but also like. And that was record. after the event, right? Like during the event, you were fucking on it. You were doing it like you did everything. And then afterward, that's when you became drunk grandma. But like, at what point do you get to just show up at the event and be like, I just get to enjoy this. And I think we're there. Like, I think, oh, I think yeah, we're at it sounds like in a few long term autonomy because Amazing. creating a drag community for me was creating the community for me, my goal was not just to create like nonprofit spaces. Right. And I think that's something that a lot of people associate as, Oh, she's here for the charity, which for me personally, I am, but long-term autonomy for me was creating not just a one organization, but multiple groups didn't have to be necessarily an incorporated entity, but creating different diverse perspectives that could hold each other accountable. And so even when the nonprofit started to have a lot of success, you know, five years ago, yeah, I could have walked away at that point and it would have kept going. But what wouldn't have happened would have been the diverse perspectives, the multiple organizations each pushing on each other to create something in the community that was responsive to the community. And so the reason that I say now I think we're at long-term autonomy is I'm watching the diversity of performance groups, right? We've got a nonprofit. We've got, you know, a house that's working primarily in billings. We've got, you know, family, right? We've got drag performers that are calling their siblings in other cities and saying, hey, I need help with this show. Can you drive down for it? <laughs> that's, yeah. that's autonomy for me. Because That's they don't beautiful. have to call me and say, we're short performers. Who do you know in other cities? They're calling each other. They got it. Like, yeah. I, I, the other day I found out about a drag show I didn't even know was <gasps> happening. And I'm like, yes, this is it. Oh. I am free. <laughs> Someone gave me a sock. <laughs> Harry Potter reference. Okay. Uh, Dobby. <laughs> yep. Oh, God. Dobby. I'm disappointed in myself for not I getting that word. I'm disappointed in you too, but well, I'll fire <laughs> Let it, it go. I was, she looked so confused for a second. I thought I had done something wrong. I'm like, oh, are we not? No, no, no. I just, I, or something? <laughs> no, my mind just went to like, you know, when you put like a sock on the door. Oh God, I wish somebody had given me a sock. Right. And I was like, <laughs> how does that? And I was just really trying to connect Her the dots. It, often. Yeah. yeah you, most of the time. It's where, it's where it lives usually. But Oh my goodness. That was so funny. <laughs> um, okay. Well, 
I feel like that word got reframed. Yeah. And we talked about drag, which was we'll get we'll get to more drag. But I'm gonna hit this thing for twenty seconds and we're gonna take a big deep breath. All right. Hex. The one that brought drag to Bozeman. How has that felt for you? I mean, good. The end. Like, Next question. It's no, not good. <laughs> good talk. It, it feels good, but it's also, I definitely feel like I helped move Bozeman's drag community into sort of what it is today and helped shape it. And I put a lot into it, but there were definitely avenues and resources that were available to me because of the work those other people did. So I always yeah. feel like I need to shout that out and I want to shout that out. Totally. And we celebrate them for like their work too. Yeah. And, and you're, you're an icon, but there is a community mm-hmm. here that is, you know, it has a pulse and I, I want to say, it sounds like we're on the same page that it had a pulse before you came into it. And I think you, you really ramped it up. You really aided in ramping it up. Yeah. And, you know, I laid a lot of the foundation for the venues and the formats totally. you know, that we enjoy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there were people before me and definitely the larger part of that is what came after me. And so, you know, when you ask how I feel about that, I say good, but I also want to say very blessed because the sheer amount of talent and love and energy You know, I created a space is basically what I did. I put up bumpers and put out calls for performers and just tried to love everybody as much as I could. And the people that showed up were phenomenal and it sort of rippled out from there. And so, you know, blessed, grateful, Mm. a lot of feelings about it. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, So being this is the part that I was excited to get to is that you're a you're a mother in a drag community. And I want to talk a little bit about, I, as a non-performer, but a queer person, I want to understand more about what you have as far as a responsibility to your children and how you parent your children because you've chosen to, in a sense. It's an interesting question Right. Because what we're sort of discussing is drag families. And I know every drag family operates differently, right? You have some that really heavily focus on the performance aspect. You have to look this way, act this way, perform this way to be part of this family. But we could really care less about who you are as a person or how you're doing. And for me, it's always been the exact opposite of that, right? Like, I. I'm more interested in how you're doing as a person because how you're doing as a person will inform who you are as a performer. And so when I look at, you know, the first question you asked, which was sort of what are my obligations to my drag family? I think the underlying obligation is to love them, to accept them for who they are. Because again, that's, my interest is in creating space for them, not turning them into me, not turning them into what society wants to see, but just supporting them, mm-hmm. which also sometimes means calling them on their shit. Yeah. You know? And that's definitely been an aspect of it where it's, hey, you did this thing. I was a little surprised you did that, you know, or however the conversations go. Sometimes they're much more dynamic. Sometimes they're much quieter and, you know, all of us are crying. Like it just, it depends. But in terms of parenting the drag family that I've created, you know, it's very important to me to be there for them and to accept them and to love them because a lot of those folks, that's a new experience. Like that's not, they're not used to someone just showing up and giving them a giant hug and being genuinely excited to see them. I find it so amazing that you can 
with how much love you were given, you have an overflow and you're now supplementing so many members of this community because they aren't given that. They weren't given that from their birth family. That's a lot of responsibility, you know? It is, but it also isn't. Like, as we're discussing it, I guess one of the things that I'm thinking is there are definitely some of my kids where it takes conscious effort to love them someday, (laughs) (laughs) right? But for the most part, it's really easy for me to love the people around me because the people around me are incredible. You know, when I, when I walk into a room and everybody already knows I'm a hugger and as I'm making my way through the room, everybody is just, you know, and I'm so much taller than most people, like everybody's got an arm around my waist, at least giving me a half hug. It's really easy to love the people around me because they're just, they're amazing. Mm. Right. And I think that's, any family, there are going to be days where you have to make the choice to love the person that you're in the room with. And, you know, yeah, that can be a lot of responsibility, but for the most part, it's, it's really not that tough. Now the systems that exist around that, right? Like we're talking very, um, sort of existentially about, well, you know, family is to love. Like, Yeah, sometimes love is getting a call at three in the morning. Hey, I'm at the police station. Can you come get me? I think they're going to try and lock me up. Like, that is an instance in which it's a little harder to love someone (laughs) because there are responsibilities associated with it. I agree. Yeah. So let's talk about it. The fuck's going on in the world right now? Uh, what is your perception of what's going on in the world right now? How are the, you? The world is on fire. The world, um, thing, yeah. You know, we're talking a lot about love and families and children. And I guess what's on the top of my mind right now is I don't, like, as a concept, I don't have a problem with guns. Okay. But what I'm really struggling with is these people that their entire identity that they espouse right? If you ask them, what is central to your identity? It's family and protecting my kids. And then if Mm. the next question you ask them is, what do you think we should do about school shootings? It's, well, we need to take away the video games or (laughs) we, we need to go back to traditional families. And it's just like, hmm. And so like, as, as a parent, and the reason I'm bringing this up, One of my biggest fears right now is there is so much hate and rhetoric being used against the family that I've built, against the community that I have raised. And it's rhetoric that, you know, has a thin curtain behind it with an armory on the other side of that curtain. And so every day I'm waking up to different news articles about it's now illegal to be a drag queen in Tennessee. You know, the Montana legislature is considering bills that would uh, basically erase my gender non-binary and transgender children. We have another state that just reverted back to, you know, they're basically putting laws in place, making same-sex marriages illegal. And I'm watching all of this. And these articles are interspersed with, well, there was another school shooting. Well, there was another public shooting. And it's just, it's exhausting because I really want to, you know, teach my children and encourage my children to stand up for themselves. I really want to say, you know, to all of my gender non-binary and transgender children, let's head down to the Capitol and let's, you know, chain ourselves to the steps and refuse to move. And then on the other hand, I'm sitting there going, I want to encourage them to put paper bags on their windows and not leave their house because someone right. is going to shoot them. Yeah. It's a struggle that I've had where I'm like, okay, should I be encouraging the people around them to defend them? But for me, you know, again, going back to sort of the parental stuff, it's very, very important to me that I teach the members of my family how to use their voices effectively because at the end of the day, nobody can tell us what the lived experience of a gender non-binary person in Montana is better than a 
gender non-binary person who had to grow up in Montana. And I think, I think to Montana specifically, part of the problem we're running into is most people like that silent majority that could make this a really quick conversation either way doesn't know us. They're pretty quiet. Yeah. I, I mean, they're quiet, but I also think that Montana is so rural and it's so spread out and it's so, um, terrifying, honestly, for queer people. You've got this silent majority. Every single one of them has a queer person in their life. I guarantee it. I question how many of them know they have a queer person in their life. And so that's where teaching my kids to use their voices, to stand up, to be heard is helpful because it's really easy to legislate out of existence something that you're not face-to-face with, something that you just hear about, something that, well, mm-hmm. there's queer people in Montana, but we don't really know They're not them. here. We don't see, yeah. Yeah, They're I mean, like it's, it's this weird- Few and far between, yeah. Fragmented minority that we need to protect the majority against. And so I do think empowering my kids to speak on their own behalf and to put a face to that existence- if there are people right now that are gender nonconforming, that are non-binary, that are that are afraid and they can't find their voice right now, I I don't think you're putting any pressure on them. But I do think you are applying pressure to the people who you've raised to be ready for that. And that's where I think this like role that you're in right now is like you know what you're you've you've created this space where you know what your children are capable of if they can't if they can't speak right now that's okay you've made it okay that's not safe for them they know their own they know their own like autonomy enough to know what's safe but you have put pressure on your family to show up and i think that's really important right now it's really really important there are times where i do put pressure on people and i try to be mindful of you know okay this is something that's not a great space for them but i'd be lying if i didn't say that there were times i asked more of my children than they necessarily had to give and it's something that i'm not going to say i regret because I don't think this community would be where it is without the contributions they made. And you made too. Something that I think is, I feel was unfortunate. Like I look at some of those things and I go, man, I really wish there had been another solution. But I also recognize that I don't put pressure on my kids just to put pressure on them. Right. I, I, sometimes there's just no other way to do it. You know, when you're you're trying to put together a, a an activism drag show, or you're trying to put together a, a awareness campaign, or you're trying to put together a, a charity show for a specific cause that needs the money immediately, mm. you can't have the show if you don't get enough yeah, people in call. the cast. Yeah. And that's you know one example. I'm just sort of reducing it down, but you know those are def- there's definitely times where I've called some of my kids and been like, "So you're going to perform?" Absolutely not. What's it going to take to get you to perform? <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think, um, and, and I think too, the, the added, the next step to the applying pressure is, I hate this word, the aftercare. It's what you do after with however they showed up. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's the difference. And I think that's what makes a good parent. If I were to guess, <laughs> Is that it's the, it's almost like the recap on what was required or the, you know, you saying like, I, I had to put more on you and it just had to be what it is. Or, you know, you didn't, you couldn't, you crumbled under the pressure and let's talk about it. But it's not like you crumbled under the pressure, you're punished or you're out or whatever. That's not what you've ever done that I know of or would do that I could think of. I'm pretty sure she just described Stockholm syndrome though. Uh Like 
I'm putting them in the situation, causing them trauma, and then bonding with them over the trauma afterwards. Like, I think I was just called out for Stockholming several generations of queer Bozeman youth. This is magical. You heard it here first. <laughs> I mean, not the to, truth not, revealed. Not not to poke fun at you, Chelsea. I, I, A secret expose. <laughs> this was my whole fucking agenda this when was I got the goal. Here. Yeah, I, like, I researched this so effectively. No, I mean, and and I, I see what you're saying. Created a safe space, bitch. And I, I do think that that's that's true. What you said, you know, part of it for me, I guess, I never really thought of it as aftercare. That's that's a good way to to categorize it. But to me, it was sort of more. We're all in this situation. I've been put in a position where I'm supposed to guide you through it. This is what I need you to do so that we all make it out the other side. Yeah. And once we make it out the other side, then we all got to sit down, look over our shoulders and go, holy shit, we made it. We made it. Uh, May we never have to walk that particular path again Mm -hmm. Um, or celebrate the things that we learned going through it. Cause there's definitely been opportunities. I mean, Anaconda pride two years Mm -hmm. ago was we were coming out of the pandemic. Everybody was not feeling the drag. It was day drag in a park on a concrete stage. It was like 90. It was hot. Yeah, it, was it was hot hotter as than hell. Sin. That was one where I really twisted people's arms. And I, I remember I had one drag king that reached out and was just like, I don't think I have the energy to do drag anymore. And I said, you know what? That's totally fine. Don't do drag. That this is, the, yeah. but I want you to come. Mm-hmm. And I want you to sit in the audience and I want you to clap for your siblings because yeah. this is going to go horrible. Like we're going to get two people in a cow at this damn show and in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And it ended up being phenomenal. Um, that same King actually came up to me after that show and was like seeing, cause what happened is we had a ton, a ton, a ton of young people show up for this all ages show mm-hmm. and with their parents and their guardians and their youth groups and, and they were so excited and it ended up revitalizing our entire pool of performers because it reminded a lot of them why they were doing what they do, you know, yeah. why we do this. And so, you know, I don't want to say that every time I put pressure on people, we've had to like decompress afterwards and talk about the trauma. There have been times where it's been incredibly empowering and it rejuvenating. It was, a, it was a beautiful day. Yeah, it was. I was scared shitless of you though. <laughs> I don't know why I am the sweetest, most approachable old drag queen you will ever meet. Oh, totally. As long as your first exposure to me is when I don't have a microphone. Yeah. That may be it. Yeah. I I do give people a pass. If the first time they meet me is when I hop up on stage and I have a microphone, that's okay to be a little bit intimidated. But like, yeah, I think once people get down, you know, we're both on the floor, we're sitting at the bar, we're sitting in somebody's living room. I'm not that scary. Yeah. yeah. And it's not just being those things. Cause it's, you know, as we're talking about what is the role of parenting in the community, drag shows are a way for people to collectively process the emotions that exist in the community. And I don't think most people are fully cognizant of that, but when you're emceeing, it's sort of guiding people through the performances and the fact that they should be having fun it's also trying to guide and process the collective emotion that exists in the room. And so, you know, Billings was a great example. The Supreme court had just completely fucked over the Roe v. Wade decision. And we had a drag show with 600 people at it that night. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's why, you know, I, I would say it's two aspects of how I parent my community because when I'm on stage, there are times where I'm like, okay, we're going to move this way or we're going to take a minute to acknowledge this, or we're just going to have a little bit of fun. When I get off stage, I can focus more specifically on the person that I'm engaging. Yeah. The interpersonal relationship. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's so beautiful. The like, yeah, this collective, this collective energy that you're guiding the audience through. I think that's a really wonderful way of thinking about it. I like it. Um, I, what are you saying specifically about what's going on in the world? What are you saying to your children? What are the conversations you're having? The conversations that I'm having with my drag family right now usually start off with me saying, are you okay? Okay. Come here. Give me a hug. Hmm. Because 
I think right now in particular, we have to be mindful of the fact that, you know, you even pointed out, well, you sound drained, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm not a person that generally is lacking in enthusiasm, particularly in a situation like this. What's happening in the world is starting to erode the core of who my children are. And it is breaking my heart to see that. So I am starting off by trying to assess where they are and what they need and desperately trying to find the resources to provide that. Beyond that, the conversations that I'm having with them are just reminding them um, not to give up. Yeah. You know, and for each one, it's different. Some of them, it's, hey, I know you have uh, an aunt, an uncle, a roommate, a sibling, whatever it is. And I saw what they were posting on social media. You need to focus your energy on handling that, processing your own feelings around that, you know, deciding whether that relationship is ended, whether you're going to try and fix it, what you're going to do. I have other kids that are in more stable life situations and I'm looking at them and I'm going, okay, your house is secure. I need you to get out of that house and go start defending other people's. Yeah. And so it's really just trying to, you know, again, love my kids as they are and pay attention to what it is they need while also gathering up as much of the excess energy as I can and directing it, trying to defend the broader community. Yeah. Um, we have each other, the rural 12 or 14 year old kid in roundup Montana. That's just discovered they're trans or just discovered they're gay or just discovered that they're, you know, who they are. Yeah. They don't have that. And so I think it behooves us, you know, those of us that have the energy to use that, to be visible, to be public, to help defend that sibling that we haven't met yet. Yeah. I find myself asking the question of what are you doing for yourself in this moment or in these spaces, in this climate? I got a dog. Beautiful. <laughs> I'm like, I think I'm everybody should do that. Uh, I hear it now adopted a giant. He is not even a year old. He is already 80 pounds. He oh. is a <gasps> husky Malamute German shepherd and he is the sassiest thing. And I <laughs> love him. Um, so that's one of the things I'm doing for myself. Um, the other thing that I am doing, you know, probably a little bit more grandiose, but as we discussed earlier, we're reaching a point where I can be autonomous from Bozeman's localized drag community. Yeah. And in the last couple of months, I've definitely embraced that and realized the best way that I can serve my family is by looking to these larger issues, looking to our other cities and doing some of this yeah. work and having faith in them and trusting them to maintain that work within our city. And, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm doing a disservice when I'm saying within our city because the performers of Bozeman are everywhere. everywhere. They're in Billings, they're yeah. in Livingston, they're helping out their siblings in Missoula. But you know, I guess that's the major thing that I've been doing for myself is giving myself permission to not be there, to not be at every show, to not be in face at every show. Yeah. And to trust my kids. And they have not let me down yet in any way, shape, or form. They knock are on all some wood quick. Phenomenally. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Wait, what'd you say? I said knock on some wood quick. <laughs> I'm just kidding. The, the final question that I want to ask you um and i obviously we know safety is the most paramount thing um what call to action could you do what you can for yourself and if you have energy left over after you have done what you can for yourself do something for the people around you um if you have queer people in your life that are struggling, check in on them as much as you have capacity for. If you have queer people in your life that's, you know, are struggling that, you know, their needs aren't being met, connect them with resources where you can. Beyond that, start paying attention to who you vote for. Like it's, it's a really great thing to say, 
well, I looked at all of the issues and, you know, I support the candidate for X, Y, and Z. I don't encourage single issue voting, but I will say if you're voting for a candidate whose base position is that another group of people does not deserve to be alive, you're voting for the wrong candidate. Yeah. You need to knock it off. Yeah. Like it, it, I don't care what other positions you have on the myriad other issues that are facing society. If you are voting for a candidate who wants to see a group of people erased, eliminated or killed, you are part of the problem. Yep. So the call to action is do what you can reach out, talk to your local legislate uh, legislators. If you can tell them to vote against the bill, um, write the governor for all the good it'll do. Look at the people that are currently defending you, right? If you want to do something positive instead of something that feels, you know, maybe sort of hopeless, look at the people that are speaking up on your behalf in the legislature. Look at the bureaucrats that are taking stands on these issues to defend our community and write them a nice little note. Write them something that just says, hey, I see you. I appreciate you. You can do that same thing for the people in your life around you. Maybe yeah. maybe you don't have anybody in your life that's struggling but you do see that they're under constant siege by these social issues. Maybe write them a nice little note. Tell mm-hmm. them something you like about them. Yeah, I think having a space to mourn right now is one of the things that it's sad that we have to have that. But there's a there's a mourning of a lot. Like there's loss. There's a lot of loss right now. And I think even if it's just like a cup of coffee or inside a a home that you know you can present however you want to, you know, you can wear whatever you want to, you can be whoever you want to, even if it's not your own home, those are good starting points to just be in spaces that are safe right now. Yep. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Well, thanks for having me on. Yeah. Hex, shadow, an icon, a legend in this community. And an old grandma. You know how you were saying we don't have a relationship? (laughs) Shit. (laughs) (laughs) And it ended here on record. All right. Um, Like, subscribe, share this with a friend. Um, Be safe, be kind. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 